You ain't no general. You ain't no copper. You, you ain't the president and you ain't my father. And I'm sick of you acting like you is. I'm sick of you laughing, snoring, and your goddamn farts. Your goddamn, goddamn farts. <sighs> smell like piss. Smell like jism. Like rotten dick. Like, like curdled foreskin. Like hot onions fucked a farmyard shithouse. And I'm, I'm sick of your smell. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it, you goddamn drunk, you goddamn no account, son of a bitch, bastard liar. That's what you are. You goddamn drunken, horse shitting, short shit liar. A liar. Welcome to part two of our Lighthouse episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our beloved patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron channel. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, new month, September. This is this is the best time to do PP because this is where we announce a whole bunch of new stuff. Let's start, as usual, with the QVRs. This is, this is an easy one. This is something that we've been preparing for. Uh, we're doing New Moon on the main feed on the next episode. And we're doing Eclipse, the third movie in the Twilight franchise, as QVRs. You're mm. watching it on your own and recording a quick video review. I'm watching it on my own, recording a quick video review. And then, uh, I guess, Zoe and all our patrons get to watch them back to back and see how we uh, experience that movie separately. And then, I mean, I'm sure when we record the Breaking Dawn episode, we can compare notes or maybe on an after hours. We'll, we'll figure it out. But so those are the quick video reviews. Then we'll have a Patreon exclusive bonus episode. It's Chas Fisher's turn this month. He's giving us the movie Dangerous Liaisons. That is Chas once again trying to get you to like a period piece. Now, this is very different from Little Women, Alex, very different from just your standard romance set in the, the the olden times i don't know if you're looking it up right now but it's michelle, michelle pfeiffer. pfeiffer yep <laughs> john malkovich this has a higher chance of winning you over than little women when it comes to period pieces and i don't want to hype it too much because you might hate it anyway but but hey Chaz Chaz wants you to to keep trying so. and i appreciate it i will continue to do so yeah glenn close keanu reeves it's an all-star cast. Now, also, patrons, at all levels, you have access to, one, our five-part maxi-series on the Rock versus Cena WWE match, the once-in-a-lifetime. It started as a mini-series, but yeah, at this point, you know, and then all the parts are available to all the patrons. And yeah, like I said, we're clocking in at over 12 hours of coverage and uh, not just about their history making record breaking once in a lifetime match in Miami, Florida, 10 years ago, but also about the respective wrestling and acting careers of the rock Dwayne Johnson and Mr. Hustle loyalty, respect John Cena. I say with confidence, you will not find a more comprehensive series, a more information rich offering about that particular match and that rivalry than what we put together on our patron. Yeah. It's there's nothing mini about it anymore. It's, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's an adult sized uh, project. Uh, <laughs> and then also 
something for patrons only. You know, we did last month, we did the summer break celebration with mm-hmm. uh, with Alex's sister Lillian. So everybody on the main feed got to listen to our Days and Confused episode. Then we had the Goofy Movie Conversation as an extra. And then just for patrons, we closed with Wet Hot American Summer. That's, again, for patrons of all tiers, just there, just for you, so you can uh, enjoy the summer for a little longer. Um, <laughs> Never-ending. And I mean, like, in Texas, it kind of sucks because of how hot it gets, but I can understand the sentiment of never wanting summer to end. The Goofy movie uh, discussion took us places we definitely weren't expecting, and then <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer, that kind of d- devolved or evolved into a conversation about what we find funny in general. So both good conversations. Yes. It's always good to have Lillian back. So uh, mm-hmm. she came back with a vengeance, with a, with a triple threat. It's true. And then, of course, what you're all waiting for. What are we going to talk about during Contrarians After Hours? That's the the spin-off show where we talk about other things that we've watched, that we played, that we listened to, that we've experienced Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, I blitzed through a series on Netflix. It looks like it's entirely from this year. It's two seasons, but it's only got only a total of seven or eight episodes. I'm sorry. It looks like it premiered last year, end of 2021. It's called Catching Killers. You know me every once in a while. I'll go through my... <laughs> spats of true crime documentaries and dramas and whatnot um i'm gonna talk about that some interesting shit crazy shit man it's this docuseries each episode's like 40 minutes so they're not long enough to become like depressing and like you know start to really wear on your mental state like that whole making a killer or whatever that show was that was my biggest hang up on that that i couldn't get into is because it's like man that's so long and so dark but you know i find American crime to be fascinating, but when it's dealing with like serial killers and shit, keep that concise. So like anything longer than an hour, I'm like, all right, man, this is starting to bum me out, but I'll talk <laughs> about that. And um, yeah, the recommendation of it also, some of the uh, perceived controversy, I think that could come along with it due to the just day and age we're in right now. So quick discussion about that. Julio, what about yourself? Alex, I, I told you about this when it happened, and I said, this is going to be on the After Hours, whatever whatever After Hours record next. And uh, that is that I went, I ventured into movie theater to watch Lal Singh Chara. And I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but that is an Indian title because I watched an Indian movie that was not requested, demanded by a patron. I just, I went voluntarily. Why? Because it is the Indian version of Forrest Gump. Mm. Which timely um, it, <laughs> I mean, is it ever not timely? The Forrest I guess Gump that's story. a good point. It was uh, I don't know if if you saw the trailer. Our friend and patron Brandon Curtis sent us a trailer a while ago, and I watched it. and I was like, that is weird because I actually it looked like Forrest Gump. Like you could tell just from watching the trailer, uh, the the scenes, the characters, you could recognize them. Like not, not just Forrest and Jenny, which would be pretty easy, but, you know, all the other characters. And it was playing here in Austin. Uh, I think it played for, like, a couple of weeks. Uh, it was an interesting experience. Forrest Gump is a very American story in the sense that they weave his life throughout American history. And so I wanted to see what that was like with a different country. Like, could every country have their own version of Forrest Gump? We'll talk about that in After Hours. And then I watched something that 
everybody can watch because it's on Netflix. And I'm pretty sure it's like a Netflix original. It's a movie called The Discovery. You might have seen it while flipping through your Netflix options because it stars Jason Segel and uh, Alex Mattis' favorite, Rooney Mara. Nice. She can't run away from you if you have her on Netflix, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Robert Redford is in it and also Jesse Plemons. As if I needed to say anything else to get you to watch it. It's kind of like a sci-fi drama. And does the Plems play uh, Robert Redford's son? Yes, he does. God bless. <laughs> uh, Redford's son and uh, Seagull's brother, which makes Seagull also Redford's son. You're getting a... Well, that's funny because they just had that movie where he hit, like, it was a hostage movie. Right. With, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like in that one, you're getting serious Jason Seagull in this one. And uh, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. So tell you about it. Maybe I'll convince you to watch it. So Lal Singh Chara, also known as Indian Forrest Gump, The Discovery and Catching Killers from Alex. That's your after hours. And then all the other stuff we listed on our Patreon, plus our pre-recording notes, plus our cutting room floor segments, plus whatever else we decide to throw your way. It's a lot of stuff on our Patreon channel patreon.com slash contrarian prime check it out look at our tiers see if you would like to join the contrarian supplements one dollar three dollar five dollars and ten dollars our respective tiers head on over to the site check it out drop us a buck get in on the ground floor take a look around see what's there see what you like uh and eventually i'm sure you're gonna bump up your pledge because you just you see what we do for the others that pledge higher levels and you're gonna want that for you I don't know. Maybe there's some crazy movie from the 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, etc. that you want to get myself or Julio's opinion on. Well, you know how to do it. Uh, to all of our current patrons, we love y'all so dearly. Y'all keep the machine running. And as I like to say, we are always taking applications. So head on over, throw us a buck, check it out, listen to our Rock Cena coverage, and then uh, see what else is there. <laughs> We, you can go all the way month. yeah exactly you can always go back to our very first post and listen to our elongated discussion of blue is the warmest color there's a lot going on there and now alex i don't even know how to transition to a, a serious discussion about the the light belongs to me you kill me like you done that gold i did liar you murdering dog twas ye what changed the wind on us Twas ye what damned us, dog, twas ye. Will you do what you wished you'd done to old Winslow? Will you best me then? For Winslow were right. Thomas, you're a dog, a filthy dog, a dog! Uh, yeah, The Lighthouse, it's a movie. So, <laughs> 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, again from 2019, premiered at Cannes in the summer of 2019. Movie with a lot of themes, subtext, the type of shit that makes critics, you know, come in their pants, not through the grate, um, like <laughs> Willem Dafoe. We forgot to mention the scene where they replicate the uh, shot Sasha Schneider 1904 painting Hypnosis, where like fucking Willem Dafoe's eyes are shining light into. Yes. And I even had it in my notes. I wrote uh, Willem Dafoe has heat vision. Yeah, shot. It, it is but again it's like what's the purpose of this yeah it's just it's it, it's really is robert eggers jacking off through the grate which is fine you know watchman is well would you say watchman is excellent i've never seen justice league 
Is Justice League more of Zack Snyder jacking off than Watchmen? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So there's that. But like, before I mean, I mean, we, he's, he's jacking off in Watchmen too, but he's like he's not all out. You know, he has a trench coat over. And he's just rubbing it over the pants. Yes. Yeah. The Snyder cut. I mean, it's just he's out there, balls out. <laughs> he's just swinging freely, screaming uh, that he's a golden god. There you go. As I mentioned, ninety percent. So ten percent, uh, at least of the attributing. Rotten Tomatoes reviewers did not agree with the masses on this one. What were they saying, Julio? Uh, it's some rotten quotes from uh, Tomato Meter members. I'm going to start with Peter Gray from Brisbaneista, who must be perceived as a bit of a prophet by his friends and colleagues, because this quote is very much going to be deemed a masterpiece by some and a muddling mess by others. Do you think Peter had like an actual insight here, or was he just saying something that anybody could have said based on the director and the studio? Maybe the trailer. Uh, I think a little bit of both. Yeah. Having seen The Vivitch, his, his previous movie, it's The Witch. But, you know, because of the way that it's uh, the font that they use on the title, just, oh. <laughs> it looks like it's two Vs instead of a W. Uh, having seen it, I already, I you know... I could have said, oh, yeah, the next Robert Eggers movie is not going to be for everyone. <laughs> um, Robert Rotten from Laramie Movie Scope says, Like many others, I am fascinated by lighthouses and their construction, especially those equipped with large Fresnel lenses, which are things of beauty. This movie kind of <laughs> spoiled all that for me. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, a frustrated wiki who can no longer dream of being a wiki. Next, Sandra Hall from the Sydney Morning Herald says, American writer-director Robert Eggers excels at transporting you into the past and putting you under the skin of those you meet there. Persuading you to be glad that you came is another matter. I mean, not even Pattinson looks to be glad that he came. So, <laughs> the audience <laughs> <Hey -o>. even worse. <laughs> And then we'll close with Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle, who says, The Lighthouse has only enough story to fill a 25-minute Zone episode. I'm guessing he means the Twilight Zone. And that's including next week's coming attractions and two obligatory and very welcome monologues by Rod Serling. Do you ever watch the classic Twilight Zone? Like the old ones? Yeah. Uh, like when I was younger, when it was on TV and shit, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever watched the, the ones with Rod Serling's introductions. I think I watched the... the I guess a relaunch, the reboot that's in color. And you ever ride like, the Tower of Terror at, um, it, at movie studios? I forget what they call it now. At uh, Disney, that's is that like, where the where it drops and they take yeah, the picture as you're falling? It's presented like a Twilight Zone episode. There's like a fucking hologram of coming out and consider this or imagine this or whatever. Uh, it is. It's, yeah, I don't think that Rod uh, Serling would be comfortable introducing <laughs> the lighthouse. No. Consider this. Sex with a mermaid. <laughs> you see a mermaid. Its vagina's out. What do you do? <laughs> You've spent five weeks with Willem Dafoe and no one else. <laughs> oh, all right. So we got into some interesting uh, trivia about this and like, kind of the method acting and the relationship between Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson over on our uh, preview video of this. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that, go check that out. Uh, like I said, it's 
it's nothing like Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray or Dana Carvey and Mike Myers uh, type shit that, you know, they hated each other and didn't interact in between any takes. But it's still kind of interesting. And I think it um, the relationship as it was in their methods definitely aided, helped uh, and made their interactions and their performances more memorable. It's because kind of where they took themselves to. If there's one thing about this movie I can't necessarily critique and won't, it's the acting. Uh, Like I said in the first half that I was somewhat serious about, the acting is great. The words they're saying are kind of weird from time (laughs) to time. And I'm not even talking about accents or talking like it's 1890. That's fine. It's just some of the shit they yell at each other. It's just like, come on, man. Um, (laughs) I get the feeling you... Okay, first question. Just yes or no. Do you dislike this movie? Oh, that's, I mean, there's there's more shades of gray than that. No, I wouldn't say okay. I dislike it. I'll tell you what I dislike, uh, and I'll be concise. I dislike people who don't understand or can't believe that I don't love this movie or that seemed kind of dubious of my uh, love for cinema just because I don't love this movie. Um. When it was over, Lillian had seen it before me, actually. She saw it in the theater. I think uh, she went on a date or something because she was telling me about when she saw it. Hell of a date. Uh, No shit. Um, She was like, it's pretty intense. And she asked me like what I thought when it was over. I was like, yeah, that was fine. And she's like, yeah, upon rewatch, a lot of it doesn't really hit as hard or, you know, kind of hold up. Do you agree with any of that at all? Um, I actually had an easier time with it on rewatch. But I think that that's one of those where, uh, like I said on um, Dress Corner when we're doing the intro, this movie, I mean, it was never going to be my cup of tea, but watching it in kind of in the frenetic run up to the Oscars where I was just like watching a lot of movies, uh, sometimes back to back, Mm -hmm. uh, this just didn't stand a chance. Like I remember not having the patience for it at all. And uh, when I rewatched it this time, I I had the patience for it. <laughs> I had to because I needed to take notes. And I remember I kept waiting for it to start really sucking. And I was like, I'm going to start hating it at some point. And it didn't really happen. It, it was just, I was like halfway in. And I'm like, okay, I guess I actually, I am more okay with it than I, than I thought. Uh, so once again, here's the argument for, you know, you may think that you don't like a movie and then you can rewatch it and it turns out that you maybe don't dislike it as much. <laughs> I think uh, her point she was trying to make is like the first time you watch it, there's still like the holy shit or like what the fuck's going on? And then you watch it again. And it's just it's like, uh, you know, Twister, you know, what's going to happen. You know, it's not going to happen to it's not going to make sense. Thank you. Never been to see you before. Back, I said, back! Back, Maddie! You know what else, too, that I'll uh, kind of like to tie that up? There was also so much hype around it, and it was yes. inescapable. I mean, you know me. I, I try to stay away from that stuff, but it was just inescapable. And I was already kind of like so tired of hearing about how 
amazing it was and how like memorable it was and all how weird and blah blah. blah. And then I watched it and I was just underwhelmed. I was like, yes, it's weird. Yes, they're really going for it. And you know, yes, there's some bold choices here, but I was just this is not this is probably how you felt about Baby Driver. And I was like, really, this is what you guys are getting excited about. Mm. So I watching it these years later when yeah there's still people that are like writing it really hard but for the most part i was able to be more like have a lot more distance from the hype and i could really you know say yeah this is okay this works this doesn't work without feeling like i was endorsing or battling the masses that were just adoring this movie so that helped i mean it's a lot of uh, see i think with Baby Driver, you're also describing my midsummer thing of like this, like th- this is what you're. <laughs> oh, I have. I can articulate my problems with uh, midsummer in a much more concrete <laughs> manner than my problems with. Uh, like I, I do dislike midsummer. I don't dislike the lighthouse. I dislike midsummer. And fair enough. We'll get into it someday. But so, what's the? Because midsummer, I've been met numerous times with "You're a man." That's why. So, what would be the the lighthouse thing? You're a wiki. That's why. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. And to go ahead and circle back, I don't dislike this movie. Um, no, th- with this, it's like, oh, you didn't see it in theaters. It's the, you know, and you know what? I've, I've heard that from, uh, I think I it's told not you. fucking Titanic. It's not <laughs> interstellar or like, you know, I, I, okay. I get it. And I'm sure it was gorgeous on film. Like that's, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that with the right lighting and projector. I do not doubt this movie looked amazing. Uh, it was just kind of over and I was like, okay. And you know, just the things you're saying. And you know, there's, I know there's certain people I could talk to about this. That would be like, you know, why don't you love this? And it, you know, it's kind of, it's a cabin fever movie and, uh, you know, the hallucinations and shit. Like when, um, we were like halfway through it. I turned to Lillian and this is what I put on my letterbox review. I'm just like, it's just the episode of the Simpsons where Burns and Homer get snowed into that cabin. Like <laughs> with, with a lot more like visceral sexual imagery. Um, but I think, I think multiple things can be true. I think a movie can look great. I think the acting can be great. I think the story can be intriguing. I think the screenplay can be good. Uh, you know, it looks good. And then at the same time, it could be correct to say this is bordering on being pretentious just for the sake of being pretentious and that making a movie that intentionally doesn't make sense doesn't automatically mean, you know, it's good or groundbreaking. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I mean, I I know myself and I I wouldn't have watched The Lighthouse if it hadn't gotten like Oscar buzz and even Oscar nominations and all that stuff because I watched The Witch and The Witch The Witch is more like has more of a traditional structure compared to Lighthouse like there's an actual story and things happen and then the last 20 minutes or so like the third act becomes really like the kind of movie that I'm like okay so this is what Robert Eggers is about and then The Lighthouse mm-hmm. kind of confirmed it so I know that that's not my thing and I know that other people are more into it the, the idea that okay The Lighthouse is about really getting you into the headspace of this man or these men that are just going mad. And that's really all that matters. We're going to make you feel weird and confused. I mean, you said it on the video preview, I think, you know, that the intention when he was writing the the, the screenplay and that he just wanted the audiences to be confused. And 
Uh, I mean, I can take that up to a point, but I don't really. That's not how I enjoy movies. Like, I I lean more towards having a story and having the a movie say something instead of a movie just simply put him in a state of mind. I can appreciate that, but you can and like the argue the point he was trying to make was he wanted the audience to feel what Robert Pattinson was feeling and going down like you know the depths of sanity. And it's like, you can still make an audience feel what your main character is feeling without having to make it intentionally misleading and confusing, you know? Yeah, I mean, okay, even if the point is that to confuse you, to just leave you baffled at the end and to just walk away from it with memorable images and memorable sequences and speeches and all that stuff. I mean, if that is the point, and and it seems like it landed that objective was met because it landed this the movie landed with so many people that love it that's fine but that's where i would just part ways and i have parted ways with Robert regular because i have no interest in watching the northman i'm like that's cool that's the type of movie you make it's not really my thing i've watched two of yours and i guess that it doesn't hit me as hard like the things that people love like people that kept quoting uh you know, back in 2019, at the end of 2019, people kept quoting lines from the movie and, you know, not just the meme ones, like, you know, the, the one about the farts or whatever Willem Dafoe says. Like, I just can't get into it because it's just such a, I find it a very empty experience. Like, I get to the end, I was like, this didn't do anything for me. And it's especially noticeable for me when we spent, you know, two years in lockdown, basically, and yet a movie about two guys that are trapped in in a tower, you know, didn't really get any sort of emotion out of me. And maybe it's kind of like what you were saying, you know, it's like, if you're not all in, it just feels so gimmicky, so artificial. And I just couldn't get over how unreal it was in just maybe it's just not the kind of movie I need, you know, and maybe not the movie, the kind of movie that I ever need. I, I, it's I just, like fucking... It's like watching, um, is it Death Proof, the Tarantino movie? Mm-hmm. It's like watching that and not at all being taken by or smitten with the gimmick of it and just having to sit there and kind of just watch it. Which is a little bit like like what it was watching it for me. <laughs> I was about to say, I know you don't like it, so I thought that would be a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a similar thing, right? Like, if you're not invested, then the aesthetic around it's just already, like, that's... Numerous people I have talked to that don't like drive. That's the thing. It's like, it's just so meandering. And, you know, the takes are just so intentionally long and they just hover. And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking awesome. And that's like the thing of this of like, <laughs> there's probably people that I could just say this shit of like, it's just black and white. And, you know, in four, three, just to be. And then their response would be, it's what makes it. It's great. So the whole point that you and I are both saying, you use the word artificial and that's a perfect word to describe it if you're not taken by it you're just thinking you're looking at fucking like some off-brand soda you're just like all right what is this <laughs> man i i think i'm even harsher on it than you because i look willem dafoe is a great actor and i've oh, yeah. i've seen him be magnificent in so many movies i just i wasn't kidding because corner i can't take him seriously in this movie <laughs> i just he's he's a live action cartoon and i whenever i heard people and i hear people say that this performance of his is top tier i just don't get it i 
it's he he in this is to me like his appearance the way he's written the way he speaks and you know and again like you said willem dafoe is a top tier actor but this character to me is like a comedic relief character from a disaster movie like a doomsdayer you know what i mean yes. like um someone that <laughs> would just be you know the end is nigh type thing and he would be introduced in like a disaster movie to make people laugh. Like, look how kooky and crazy this guy is. While Robert Pattinson, albeit the weaving in and out of the accents is a bit much again, that if I was smitten with this movie, I probably wouldn't notice that type of thing, but Mm -hmm. he's still like, there's pain behind his eyes and there's like, yeah, struggle he's going through and you believe he's going insane. Whereas I think the point you're trying to kind of make about Willem Dafoe is just, he's to the point of like SNL skit shtick. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I really did think of Kids in the Hall uh, once we got to the point where Pattinson said that he wanted to fuck the steak. And and then that recontextualized the entire movie because I was like, this would be a great Kids in the Hall skit. Because it's a little too edgy, let's say, too R-rated for SNL. <laughs> but the Kids yes. in the Hall would have a character that's that bonkers and that would be dreaming of fucking a, a mermaid and all that stuff. So, uh, And it would be funny. But this is not, this is just, it just feels a lot of, like, shock value. I can't really blame, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff I know, there's a lot of stuff that I enjoy, and people are like, really, this is what gets your socks off? So, I mean, it's not that I'm judging, but I also, it definitely doesn't work for me. Like I said, I walk away from it just empty. And thankfully, it's not a long movie, but it feels longer than it was, at least for me, because it's just, there's a lot of kind of like running in circles. And yeah, there is a progression in the sense that they both keep growing matter in a way, but there's also, I don't know, there's just too much chaos and not enough meat in the story. So uh, this movie is, I, I don't know if you'll back me up on this, but like, it is guilty of a lot of the, hey, it's the chainsaw. Like the, <laughs> it's the seagull. Yeah, exactly. Like that whole thing, and we're talking about one because you know I'm not that fond of like I know it's a movie and shit, but like depicting animal deaths kind of always bums me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, even without that, I would think that scene is gratuitous, and it doesn't. I guess it shows like his mental state, and he's going fucking nuts and stuff. But it, you knew that was coming, and then for in the end. Uh, I don't know how serious you were being when we were talking about it in Contrarian's Corner. It felt so like that's it when he just killed Willem Dafoe with one shot. I thought it was going to end up being like a drive. There will be blood type situation where he just like brutally murders him at the end because he goes, you know, fucking mm-hmm. nuts. Um, not that I'm complaining and I don't want to see Willem Dafoe <laughs> cut up into pieces, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I, it, it's well, I think that that's the thing. Are you supposed to feel bad for Robert Pattinson's character? Are you supposed to feel sorry for him? Are you, what is uh, that's the thing, dude? Like, I don't know what emotions I'm. I don't feel bad for either of them at any point in this movie. Like, I don't like. I guess that's where my connection with this like failed or faltered. Was like, I'm curious how many people have rewatched this numerous times and could come to the table like a, someone who loves this movie and tell me why we should have sympathy or sympathy, as Scott Steiner would say, for <laughs> either of these characters. 
where I would believe seeing this movie once and being a big fan of it would just be like the experience of it. It's, yeah. It is a spectacle. Like that word that was used in one of the reviews you picked out. It definitely is a spectacle. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, I need some sort of an emotional connection. And there was nothing. It was just like, all right, this guy's a crazy drunkard. And, you know, I made the master joke about they're mixing their booze like that. And that's something I've had to talk about with the master before people is like people who weren't as big of fans of it as you or I talk about. There's no characters that you can like, um, there's no characters you can invest in or that you have any kind of sympathy for. I'm like, what are you talking about? Freddie's yeah. like, <laughs> like one of the most sympathetic, like he's just a sad sack that's taken advantage of. And you then you want it to work shit and, out. Like you yeah. want them to, to really figure it out and be friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then with this, it's just kind of like neither of these guys have any redeeming qualities, so they deserve each other to drive each other nuts and kill one another. It's like I don't, I don't really give a shit. Do it faster. I, I got to record a podcast. Wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. That's that's the thing because that that is the climatic moment, right? More so than him climbing, that Robin Pattinson climbing, finally seeing the light and all that. The real thing is that he finally kills Willem Dafoe, and he's had this push and pull relationship where they you know they argued they laughed together they danced together they sang together and then the slow dancing was was funny how it just kind of smash cuts to that yeah it's a good shot it's a good laugh i mean there's aesthetically i i have no complaints with this movie really and but i just it's not enough to carry me but that's the thing right like the the build-up is like how is this relationship going to end and it ends with robert pattinson killing him and I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Like, is this is this a triumph because he finally killed like the man that was in his mind oppressing him, or is it uh, a defeat? Is it a tragedy because he's killing like the only person that he had been connecting with? Like, this is me just spitballing what this could mean, but not because I felt anything, you know, just because I see yeah. those elements in the movie and I'm like, well, this would be kind of like the logical conclusion. Uh, and I'm sure Eggers, Robert Eggers, and his fans would be like, well. That's on you for expecting something traditional. You square. <laughs> this movie is about what it looks like in his mind and what it's like to be crazy and what it's like to walk up to the light and, I don't know, be eaten by seagulls after. It just, I, I haven't done enough drugs, maybe, <laughs> to really get a kick out of this. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh I do appreciate the ending, how it's the Pulp Fiction briefcase. We don't ever really find out what the light is. I think that's cool. Um, could have done without the Robert Pattinson. You know, God, that looks like a fucking 90s music video when he just saddles up and is staring into the light and like screaming and shit. <laughs> My wife was, uh, she was making dinner and I thought she had her headphones on. And because uh, she usually does that, you know, I'll be watching something that she's she has no interest in. So she'll have her headphones on and she's listening to a podcast or whatever. And uh, but it was getting towards the end. It was when Pattinson was making Willem Dafoe bark. And I heard her from the kitchen go like, what the fuck is going on in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> and then she walked up just for the end. Like she walked in as, uh, into the living room as Pattinson is being consumed by the light. And she's just staring like, what the fuck is happening? And then, you know, we go to the shot of uh, the seagulls eating him. And I thought she was going to be grossed out or something, but she was just kind of mesmerized. And then she looked at me and I think she said something like, lovely. And I said, well, no, see, he killed a seagull earlier in the movie. So this is 
this is just karma. And that, that response seemed to satisfy her. And I was like, look, I just made this movie make a lot more sense than if you had actually sat and watched it. God, I would love to hear Kelly's take on this movie. She would not sit through, I don't know, five minutes of it. I could just see her being like, why? <laughs> that's, that's her take. Uh, well, I think we haven't cut this down. I think we just pointed out the issues we have with it while also being complimentary of how good it looks and its uh, main players. It's just, it's like I said, it doesn't. Okay. The Artist, a movie that comes up constantly on here <laughs> from a place of resentment and bitter bitterness on my end. Uh, that was never a movie I faulted like, you know, my lengthy diatribe on something like um fuck what's the movie that ruined the oscars shakespeare in love like uh we did a whole episode i know i'm saying with the artist when that was over i never thought for once it was made disingenuously or it was like made to win awards yeah i think it's kind of like juno that way in the sense of like Everyone else kind of overhyped it. The reason I say the artist is because it is a movie that's black and white. And uh, I just remember people at the time, you know, when it won Best Picture, when we worked there, they would come and one, they didn't know it was a silent film. And two, they didn't know it was black and white. It's like, well, why is it black and white? I'm like, well, that's that's that movie. Like, that's what that movie wants to be. If someone asked me why The Lighthouse is black and white, I would say because it wants to be black and white. Like, it's a gimmick. Like, it, it doesn't. I don't know. And I could already hear friends of ours and other people just like well that's you know it needed to be that way to tell the story it wanted to tell and truthfully you know on the the cg with like the squid and shit it was probably cheaper to do it with black and white but to me it's just it's transparent it's just kind of like okay i get what you're doing here uh, as opposed to just production production concerns aside do you believe that this story whether it works or not like in whatever way it works does anything change if it's in color because I, I mean, I'm not sure, <laughs> I, it, but I've seen. I don't want to see. I don't want to see a mermaid vag- vagina in color after this, dude. <laughs> there you go. Hostile. Assistant missing. Given to habitual self abuse and supply chain. I think that there is definitely a quality to shooting something in black and white, and. Uh, I remember Ebert, I think, was like a big proponent of it in the sense that he Mm – it's weird because you would think that – You got to remember real quick before you continue on the level of fucking nerd you're talking to with me because remember how like hard I trumpeted the black and white version of Logan? Yes. And like how that was like what they originally wanted to do and the studio was like absolutely fucking not. But uh, so – I get its merit. It's not that I dislike all black and white movies. So well, no, yeah. I keep- but but with Logan, it's easy, right? Because that kind of story, you're like, oh, well, it's going for the kind of the noir angle of it. So and you yeah. think noir, you think black and white. So that's easy. Uh, and I don't know that I can just justify the lighthouse in my mind that way. Because I don't even know what genre it is. You know, the, the genre is like mindfuckery. And that you can do in black and white or you can do in color. Usually, I think, actually, in color. Because that's, you know, when I think acid trip, I think colorful. But I remember Ebert, pretty sure it was him, talking about how, like, black and white, it felt more real when you watch something in black and white. Yeah. And But to me, that didn't make any sense. I mean, I guess maybe. I don't, I don't know what the rational explanation is. Because the world isn't 
color. So we're making more sense that when you watch something in color, that's what feels more real. Uh, I don't watch that many black and white movies, but usually when I do, what black and white does for me is it makes them feel old. And that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that it doesn't feel modern. So in that sense, you know, since The Lighthouse is kind of a period piece, maybe that's how my mind can kind of wrap itself around the fact that it didn't need to be black and white, but if it's going to be black and white, well, it makes sense because it's it helps you acclimate to the fact that this is not modern times, and that's why people act weird and talk weird and dress weird and, and so on. Uh, See, I think on that same point, just uh, before we switch any gears or wherever you were going next, I just want to say on that same point, I get that thing about watching a black and white movie and thinking it's old. I watched uh, Night in the City not too long ago. Black and white sometimes can give me kind of a fuzzy feeling of like, you know, the golden age of Hollywood and mm-hmm. all that shit. And the brilliance of Wizard of Oz going from black and white to color. And, right. Uh, but it's like that can still work. You can make anything in black and white. Just like I said, Logan, I was like, well, this works with this and the way they were talking. And then the way the movie played out to me, it's not that it felt old. It just felt like it was uh, trying to kind of buddy up to me and ingratiate itself with me as like a film nerd of like hey see Uh, black and white yeah four three ratio Uh you know we got some kind of weird dialogue going on here hey come on over man it's all good let me buy you a beer like that's what it felt like watching it that is a much better theory the the black and white that's in you know film elitism or whatever you call it yeah (laughs) Yeah, because i was gonna say the other thing is uh black and white maybe not as as in realism but as in seriousness this is a document a film document that you need to take seriously and i'm thinking of you know saving not saving Private ryan of uh schindler's list he could have shot that in color but at least the way i read it when you see it in black and white it's not just because of the few moments where he uses color in that movie but also because it's just it's important, you know, this is an important thing that happened in the real yeah. world and he's treating it with respect and somehow the the black and white photography kind of adds to that feeling of we're watching something serious, a documentary in a way, but it's it's fiction and and so on. So there's there's that too. And yeah, there is a little bit of a prestige feeling that comes with watching something in black and white. So when you so a movie like The Lighthouse benefits from that because you're right. Uh, even subconsciously, it can make you feel like you're watching something important. <laughs> Have you ever seen Man Bites Dog? Is that the documentary? Uh, well, that's the way it's positioned. It's it's a it's presented as a documentary, but it's not really a documentary. Uh, I think I might have just heard about it. It's uh, French, I want to say, Belgian. I I own it on Criterion. I'm letting all my film fans down here, but um, <laughs> it's a mockumentary presented. You know. With complete sincerity, the idea is this crew follows around a serial killer and records his crimes, and then eventually they get Stockholm Syndrome, all that shit. That whole thing's in black and white, and that, to me, is an example of using that, and it makes it so much more real and so much more like disturbing. Um, so I just bring that up to say... This isn't Julio and Alex versus black and white. It's just in no. this particular case, it it feels self-serving. It's trying a little too hard. I mean, it's not it's not the reason I don't like the movie. No, <laughs> but, but it's 
the first thing that's going to come up in any discussion about this movie is the presentation. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, think I, have, I have a harder time understanding the the four three ratio. Uh, I read somewhere that it had it was supposed to replicate some sort of TV uh, show, TV program. You know, it's like oh, it's like an old British TV show or whatever. It was that's what it would look like. But I don't know. I didn't go that far into thinking into reading why. Like, what does that mean? You know. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't mind that too much. What um isn't what's the hotel? What's the Wes Anderson made a movie around the same time? No, this is more like ten years ago, right? Where the it's four three ratio. Well, that's one I I referenced in uh, Contrarian's Corner. It's the the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's what it's, it's called. Uh, it, it well, it starts. I want to say it. So it starts widescreen, and like you know, it's somebody telling the story of the hotel, and then you jump to that story they're telling. And and then the ratio kind of like shrinks. Okay. And then in that story, somebody else starts telling a story, and then you go into you know another level back down into the history of the hotel, and the the ratio shrinks again, and so on. You go down like four levels, I think. And uh, you know it starts like that, and then at the end of the movie, you come back out. You know the loops start closing, and then you end up where you started with the widescreen. I think it's that way. It might be the other way around. <laughs> But either way, like, I mean, those, like I said in the first corner, like those choices, those make perfect sense to me. And I mean, uh, that's fine. I mean, like I said, I found this, it's not that I find it distracting, the 4-3 the ratio in, in the lighthouse. It's just that I, if anybody asked me, I couldn't give them an answer as to why it's that way. I'd be like, I don't know, because Robert Eggers wanted to call attention to it. He'd be like, hey, this is not like your usual movie. I don't know. <laughs> I have bigger problems with the movie. Yeah. All I could think when he was done was I I could use me a smoke. And that's it. It's fine. I still gave it three stars, and I think the acting's good, and I think uh, under right circumstances, I could even see myself rewatching it. It's not going to be added to my physical collection or anything like that, but um, I think if it hasn't already with you know critics uh that aren't fans of the a24 studio i think this may be like the most cliche a24 movie in the sense of just (laughs) robert pattinson black and white different ratio really weird story that type of thing but hey make more movies like this and less movies like uh i don't know ant-man she hulk (laughs) you always go to ant-man poor paul rudd he's perfectly fine in that movie Love Paul uh, I was I was going to mention that because if if you hated this movie, which you ended up not hating it, but if you hated it, I was gonna throw it in your face and I was gonna tell you, Alex, this is what you're always asking for. This is an original movie. Yeah, and that for that reason, praise God, Eggers, keep doing your thing, man. <laughs> that was going to be my question once we were done assessing this. Did this movie make you want to check out The Witch or The Northman? Uh, it did not. And it's, um, man, it's just like, it falls into the, like, over, you miss the mark. Like, you know, my mark is right outside of what, you know, the schlock we get is. <laughs> Land there, and this guy just pew, went way over that. But if he continues to make movies like this, that. You know, on eleven million dollars, made almost twenty million. So that's good. Let's see, Northman, 
Looks like it still has some of its budget to recoup, but how would the witch? Oh, uh, let's see. The Vivovich. Let me yeah. see this poster <laughs> too to see. Yep, you're exactly right. <laughs> oh, on a four million dollar budget, that movie made forty million. So he could be coasting off that for a while. Yeah, that's keep it going, man. Because that's the only way things are going to get better is people continue to make movies that are outside of the norm right now and they continue to do well. Uh, I don't know how many more it'll take to get back to a pendulum swinging effort, but these movies that get made may not be for me or, you know, immediately what I want, but the better movies like this do, the more opportunity and room there is for, you know, things elsewhere to happen like X. I haven't seen that yet based on what I've heard from people whose opinions I respect. I don't think I'd be crazy about it, but that movie had a $1 million budget, $15 million box office return. We need shit like that. Just keep it coming, man. It's not a, it's not another scream sequel. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, man. Fuck scream. I mean, $140 million, but at what cost? (laughs) (laughs) Our soul. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I agree a hundred percent with that. And just kind of like to like summing up, you know, it's not that I, I don't hate the lighthouse. It's just not my thing. What I hate is the kind of it's not gatekeeping, but you know, the the whole like the people that are hardcore fans of this movie that just can't fathom somebody not being crazy for it, not really liking it, and yet liking other movies that are not mainstream. I was like, this is not just the only thing available. This is not the one like cinephile test i don't know why it just kind of like gets on my nerves that and the whole like you need to watch it in theaters because i was like yes it would be great but a movie should do more than just that if if a movie only works if you watch it in a very specific set of circumstances that's kind of sad and uh, you know i think that at this point you need to do better and i know that other movies do better so it's not that it's you know because there are plenty of movies that i haven't watched in theaters and i loved and then i'll also mm-hmm. love them if i watch them in theaters so it's it's not that and if you if your one argument is that i didn't watch in theaters then uh, that's not enough for me that, to, to convince me i agree it looks great the acting i love what patterson is doing what defoe is doing not really up my alley i just it's it's too silly but i'm with you i'm like more power to robert eggers you know, he can keep making movies and I hope they do well. I'm not going to watch them. Uh, kind of like the same thing. I feel the same way about Ari Aster. You know, I watched Hereditary. I watched uh, Midsummer. That's it. I'm not watching any more movies of his. But he's doing original work and he's he's doing his thing and it's working out, you know, and that's great. Uh, nope is kind of going to determine if I part ways with Jordan Peele or not. Mm. You know, I, I thought Get Out was okay. I didn't like us. I've heard good things about Nope, so I'm going to go watch it. But then if I don't like Nope, then I have to accept that Jordan Peele is not for me <laughs> and so on. So, but it's again, you know, these are filmmakers that are doing original stuff. Exactly. To the point of that, even if Jordan Peele or Eggers isn't for you and I, uh, if they continue to succeed, what that does is open up doors for maybe someone they know or someone else who will make something that we like. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, Julio, I just need to call out that truly great special films can be captured in both letterbox and full screen four by three. (laughs) For those of you who own the Batman Mask of the Phantasm Blu-ray from the Warner Brothers archives know exactly what I'm talking about. It (laughs) it includes both versions of the film, the theatrical film transfer and then the 
redone transfer that they cut to four three for the television screenings of it. It's it's one of those things like it's only for the people that would buy that Blu-ray. Like normal people don't give a shit about stuff like that. But that's why, you know, that Blu-ray I told you was it it was sold on an on-demand basis. Like it didn't get released in stores. Like you had to buy it through their archive website and they would basically print it and send it once you ordered it. That's the way they're uh are you familiar with the Warner Archive website? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, because you told me about it. No, because yeah, I that's basically <laughs> how the majority of it is, is, is like that. But okay. So this second part was uh, definitely a better, more thorough conversation. Than I was expecting. I was kind of, you kind of cast this Paul. I was like, oh, he's just going to hate it and not have much to say about it. But <laughs> I think if, if we had recorded this episode after the first time I watched it, I would have been a lot harsher, mm. but it was, uh, no, this movie benefited from me watching it again, from me watching it under different circumstances, and from me kind of... It, it's funny because I was taking negative notes, you know, because it's fresh. Yeah. But even taking down the negative notes, it was kind of forcing me to think about the movie uh, more than I would have felt it just like sitting down and watching it because I would have gotten restless just watching it. That's the thing, you know, there's a lot of just the same. But when you're taking notes and you're trying to be funny about the notes and everything, and you're you're engaging the movie at least on, on a different level. And that that actually helped. So yeah, it this this actually ended up being a lot less negative than I expected as well. Yeah, and I was afraid I was gonna like my where I reached my conclusion was gonna be like, it's a good movie if you haven't seen many movies, which that's not the case either. It's just <laughs> it benefits and you know, kind of doesn't pray, but it plays well off people that do want cinema. So I think that that works well for it. In the end, like I said, I gave it three stars on Letterbox. I'm torn between like a C plus and a B minus just because, again, it comes back to the avatar principle that we talked about. You can't give that a C because that implies it's average when that is clearly an above average movie. And in mm-hmm. this case, like the level of acting that you get in it, regardless of if you know it works for you or not is still at a high level. So I think I'm probably going to settle on a B minus with like turn the minus into like kind of like a meh face, you know, with the diagonal <laughs> mouth. I, I would just kind of I think my our thoughts speak for themselves here in the second half. It's one of those things of a B minus, but with like the idea of I, I'm not going to be terribly disappointed or distraught if I never see it again. And um the the room that is in there that separates from a B minus to an A plus, there's a lot to unpack in that space. But again, it it looks great. Uh, the level of acting is high. Everything else, you know, we could kind of take uh, we could take that aside for a different discussion. But I think just based off its merit and its presentation, a B minus seems fair. Uh, Julio, were you? I think I browsed past your review. I didn't read it though. Were you three star, two star? Uh, I was a two star, and it's staying at two stars. Uh, it's just a less angry two stars. <laughs> it's just a very at peace two stars. It's like not for me, man. <laughs> if I gave it three stars, I would I would hate to mislead anyone into thinking I actually enjoy this movie or I like it. I mean, it's just it's just a movie that's not for me. Um, for reference, I just checked and I gave The Witch two and a half, which tracks because I. I was intrigued by what was happening on the witch up to a point. Uh, and I checked the, I don't know, I don't know if the poster you pulled up uh, was this one, but is the witch. And then underneath there's a subtitle, a new England folktale. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> this dude make out with Nicholas Wendy Rafen. 
Yes. <laughs> he he has he knows his audience. He he plays to them. How long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? All right. Well, I think that settles it. Send your hate mail to weirdthecontrarians at gmail.com <laughs> or hit us up on Twitter at Contrarian Prime and at Contrarian Alex. Yeah, we're probably going to get some beef for this one. But uh, all right. The book is closed on the lighthouse, at least for now. Uh, Julio, I know you already made a bit of a mention of it earlier, but our Robert Pattinson time continues as we move along in our Twilight journey. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So those of you who are not patrons yet, you know, it's just a dollar and you'll get access to that Twilight episode we recorded. It's just a, a very frank conversation uh, about Twilight, the first movie. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Because, you know, there's there's got to be a, a recap at the beginning of New Moon. I have, I have something special planned for it. I'm going to surprise you with it, Alex. But yeah. Uh, there'll be a previously on Twilight and then we'll get right into New Moon. And uh, it's rotten. It's at 29%. So we're going to be saying nice things about it. All right, so that is on deck for our next episode. Julio, is it time for us to go and get out of here? It's time to get out of here. Take us out of here, Alex. So we'll go ahead and close it out by moving on to our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothwieser, he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our merch page, on our Patreon page, on our web page. If you like any of the little tomatoes looking in the mirror, tomatoes doing all sorts of things that Hans designed, hit him up. Tell him that you like them. Ask him if he'll do a logo for you. You can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com, or you can check out his other work on his webpage, Mildemonios.pe. He has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. And he's written a whole bunch of books, uh, a lot of them about zombies. One of them has a little chapter written by me because it's a fake Peruvian history book uh, called Zomo Zombies. Check it out. Uh, it was sold out last time I checked, which is oh, yeah. good. <laughs> but also, I found out that uh, they were going to do a second printing, and apparently there's a paper shortage in Peru. Imagine that. <laughs> we're still reeling worldwide from all sorts of shortages due to COVID. But anyway, Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to the support of the person who has us going down this Robert Pattinson trail and the, visiting the Twilight franchise, Masoli Perez, curator of our social media. If you haven't already, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Give us a follow there. Also on Instagram, at Contrarian Prime. You'll find videos previewing upcoming episodes, uh, links to current episodes, audio clips, images, all that good stuff. Zoe's real good at it. I can't say that Julio or myself would make it look as good. So, Zoe, we appreciate the work you do for us. And we'd like to give thanks to y'all for making it to the end of yet another episode. But that's going to do it for this time here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. But we will catch you next time. The summer of 1999.